Wow, all my life I've been told it's the most wonderful time of the year. I really think it's the most confusing time of the year. Don't you? I mean, it's sort of crazy out there. And then beyond that, the way in our country that we're celebrating Christmas, I think it's extremely confusing. And so let's talk about that for just a few moments before I get into the talk, because we need to figure it out. Let's see if we can figure Christmas out right now. For one thing, uh, let's start with this. Uh, We throw a global birthday party for somebody. We're not really sure who, but we got this global birthday party going on. It's a global party for for somebody. I, I had to be in Atlanta this last week. And in Atlanta, my wife and I stopped at a coffee shop, uh, which shall remain nameless, but it's national. Uh, (laughs) Don't get ahead of me now. So we're at this coffee shop, and there's a whole wall with point of sale for Christmas. And it must be for Christmas because everything's red and green. And, and, the thing, you know, and, and, and it's strange because on these items, only one item on this whole wall had the word Christmas in it. It had stuff like peace and joy and be happy and all kind of stuff like that. And you really clearly know there's, they, they, they plan to utilize the holiday in order to sell the merchandise. But at the end of the day, you really can't tell what it's about. So let's think about that for just a moment. We throw this global birthday party for X. And on top of that, retailers depend on Christmas for, depending upon your your site, between 20 to 40% of their annual retail year. So Christmas is kind of big, but it's a party. All right, let's break this down because at this birthday party, there's several factors. For one thing, we celebrate for 30 days, which makes it different than most birthday celebrations. We start at the end of Thanksgiving and we have a whole celebration season of uh, gift buying and parties at this hotel I was staying at in Atlanta. I never could get a parking place in a hotel where I paid for a room because they had these Christmas parties going on throughout the whole three or four days I was there. And so all these businesses were pouring in these Christmas parties. I didn't see anything about Jesus in there or even Christmas, but hey, they're having parties. And you know what the traffic is like on Rock Road? or out by the waterfront, or, or on 21st Street you know, West, where you have all the shopping. It's crazy out there, but it's a 30-day party, and we're celebrating for 30 days, and on top of that, we can't talk about who it's for. <laughs> you know, I remember when I was a kid in school, the Constitution must have really changed in the last 35, 40 years, because when I was in school, we used to have Christmas parties, we used to sing Christmas carols, we even had Christmas programs, but today, we're supposed to have secular Christmas Songs. Now think about the first syllable of Christmas and think about how insane it must be to think about secular Christmas songs. It would be like mid-year New Year. <laughs> right? Isn't that strange? The weird thing about it is, is most of us are sitting out here thinking, well, I really hadn't thought about that. But because we've, been, we've, we've drunk so much Kool-Aid from the culture. So it's a, it's a birthday party. We celebrate for 30 days. We can't talk about who it's for. And... Everybody else gets presents. It is the weirdest birthday party. I mean, suppose you had someone threw a birthday party for you, and, and you were looking forward to this. The place was decorated to the hilt. You know, there were, there were cars everywhere. Everybody came to your birthday party. The other thing is you totally ignored. They can't say your name, and everybody there gets a present except for you. What kind of birthday party would that be? All right, let's think of one more thing. We're supposed to be happy, but we're not sure why. <laughs> the one thing that I did see in that coffee shop is... It was like, be happy, but, but why? 
I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be happy, I need a reason to be happy. If I'm going to be joyful, I need a reason to be joyful. If I'm going to feel merry, I need a reason to feel that way. See, it's no wonder to me that this is an extraordinarily confusing time of year. We have a whole culture that is freaked out with this disconnect, with this cognitive dissonance. Well, hey, relax. I'm not going to go on a Merry Christmas campaign. I don't really care for that kind of stuff. I mean... I don't, I don't get into that. But I, I just, I want to ask you some questions about Christmas so that you and I can figure it out. Because here's the thing. If there's nothing to celebrate, I want to save you a lot of money. I really? I mean, don't, I mean wouldn't, that, wouldn't you think that that would be incumbent upon me? If there's nothing to celebrate, I don't know about you, but instead of spending thousands of dollars on the celebration with decorations, gifts, how are you? I just go to Nassau. Yeah, I'd go to the Bahamas or Hawaii or someplace like that because if there's nothing to celebrate, why would you spend thousands of dollars? <laughs> it's a strange thing. I don't see it as much as I used to, but uh, we said a few moments ago that it's a Christmas party for X. Uh, when I was a kid growing up and in my early adult years, people, a lot of times, when they would sign their greeting, they would sign Merry Xmas. Now... I hear silly stuff today. There are people that say, well, that X really represents Christ. There is a Greek letter X, and through the years, it was seen as an abbreviation for Christ. All right. Let's just talk about that. Because you see, I, you don't get out of theology school without studying Greek because the New Testament's written in Greek. So I've studied Greek since I was 20 years old. First of all, the Greek letter is not X, it is Chi. People don't say Mary Chimus, they say Mary Xmas. Secondly, you know what? They may have been short on writing utensils back in the 10th century, but we're not short on writing utensils today. We really could write the word Christ. It's not, we don't need to abbreviate it. And then on top of that, if you're so frail you can't write the word Christ in Christmas, we'll just give you a pass on Christmas cards altogether. No, it is what it looks like. It is an attempt to use initials like we use initials to abbreviate, to keep from saying words that we really don't want to say. Xmas. It's a party, but we can't talk about who we're celebrating. Well, here's the thing I guess I want to ask. I want to ask a couple of questions. Number one, did he do something to get kicked out of his party? Because that happens. I mean, we're living in a world today where people do stuff, and because they do stuff, they sort of disappear like the first kid on Happy Days that you never see again. I mean, for instance, if you want to watch the Today Show, don't expect to find Matt Lauer there. Because evidently, and I don't know, but evidently Matt did something to get kicked out of his party. So I'm just asking. I mean, because here's the thing. We have this global party that we celebrate for 30 days, and we can't talk about Jesus. Did he do something to get kicked out of his party? But if he didn't do something to get kicked out of his party, why, is he not, why are we not celebrating him? But here's my question for New Spring today. Because like I say, I'm not going on a Merry Christmas campaign and all that kind of stuff. I'm just asking you, does he still deserve a party? My talk today is called, Look Who's Here. And I find myself, you know, we get, we get together in various ways for Christmas. We have office parties and we have friends parties and ultimately we'll get together with family. And that's an expression that we use this time of year because we walk in the door and there's someone we don't expect to see and we say, look who's here. Our series is called Surprise, and today I think that's, that's a, a fitting title for a series called Surprise. Look who's here. See, here's the thing. When you and I say, look who's here, what we're saying is, I know the person, 
and I know the place. I just didn't expect the person and the place to come together. I didn't expect to see the person in the place. I know the place. I know the person. But I'm surprised to see the person in the place. And that's why we say, look who's here. By the Bible, by the word of God, I'm transported back in time 2,000 years. And I find myself in a sleepy little hamlet with just a few hundred people named Bethlehem. And I walk into a stable. And as I walk into the stable, I see there is a feeding trough. I'm not surprised. I mean, <laughs> there are things I expect to see in a stable, and sure enough, those things are there. There are cattle, there's hay, and there's a feeding trough. I expect to see that. But I peer into the manger there, and I look into the face of a newborn baby wrapped tightly. And I peer down, and I look into his face, and I say, look who's here. Wow, the baby in the manger is so big. He is so important that we need to break this down and we need to analyze each of the three words from that expression. Let's start with who. Because if we're saying, look who's here, who's the who? Who's who? Well, the who here is really important. This is where I'm going to have to beg for your patience because instead of me telling you or delivering it as a sermon, I need you just to hear from the Bible because what the Bible has to say about who this baby is is hard for us to wrap our minds around. It is like trying to, it is like trying to understand God inside our feeble existence. It is, like, it is like putting a jet engine in an economy car. But for a few moments, I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about who this baby is. Let's just talk about something he said when he grew up because when he became a full-grown man... He was teaching, and people were struggling because he seemed to have this extraordinary wisdom, and yet they said, well, he's just a carpenter. We, we know him. He started in Bethlehem. He was a baby there, and he grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, and his daddy was a blue-collar man. Jesus was always trying to tell them that he had been the most unusual baby in history because, catch this, he was a baby with a past. He was a baby with history. He was a baby with a resume. Hey, you and I didn't. We weren't born with a resume. We were born, and they said, oh, she just, there she is. She's a newborn. Here he is. He's a newborn, just starting life. Got, got his whole life ahead of him. And yet when Jesus came into our world, he didn't come in starting out. He had a history. He had a resume. And one time Jesus would say this to his, to his listeners. Uh, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. So that means when Abraham was on the earth, he looked forward to the Messiah or Jesus coming into the world. And then, this is really cool. If you ever wonder about what happens when you die, this is a great, great sentence. He saw it. Well, Abraham died um, almost 2,000 years before Jesus was born, but Jesus said he saw. When, when Jesus stepped out of heaven and waved goodbye, Abraham was there. He was there to send Jesus off. So cl clearly, Abraham lived after he died. He lived in heaven. So Jesus said... He looked forward to the day when I would come, and he saw my day, and he was glad. Well, Jesus' audience was freaked out by that. They said, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. That's an interesting thing. Jesus didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was born, I am. I don't have time to go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can I just have a little extra time? 
When God called Moses in the bush to lead Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, Moses thought he had an out. Because to the people in those days, they believed you could not say the name of God. So Moses thought he'd back God into a corner. And he said, well, well who, I got to tell them somebody sent me. Uh, and I don't know your name, so that I'm out. I don't have to worry about anything because I can't say your name, don't know your name, and i got to say somebody sent me, and they won't believe me if I don't have a name. And this is, this is where God said something that is one of the most important comments to the Jewish faith and to our faith as well. He said, go back and say, I am that I am has sent you. When I was a kid, that used to freak me out because I didn't know what that meant. Let me tell you what it means. In the Hebrew, it is haya. In the Greek, it is aimi. It means the self-existent one. It is the one who doesn't depend on anybody. God said to Moses, you just go back and tell them the one who doesn't depend on anybody else has sent you. Jesus came along and he utilized that same verb denoting his deity when he came to our world and he said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Christ used that word time and time again. And so he said to his audience before Abraham was, I am. In fact, he would say he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That was before the world was made. But here's a verse that maybe might help us understand it most. Um, when Jesus was born, do you remember how that the wise men went to the king and they said to him, uh, we, there's a newborn king. We, we want to know where he is. Remember what Herod did? He went to the Jewish scholars, and he asked them, where was Messiah supposed to be born? And those godly men who believed the Bible went to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and they said to Herod, Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Let me show you why they said that. This is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Oh, Bethlehem, you're but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive. Now, Micah wrote this 550 years before Jesus was born. But look at this. Micah said, Bethlehem will be the birthplace of the king who is already alive. But not only that, he's been alive from ages past. So consequently, this baby in the manger has a history. When Isaiah would write 750 years before the birth of Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 7, he would write these words. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When I peer over that manger and look into the face of that baby and I ask the question, who's who? The answer comes back, God, that's who. God, that's who. Um, I, wanna, I skipped a verse a moment ago and I want to go back and get it because it's the most important text I want to give you. This is in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In fact, if you had a truly chronological Bible, John 1 1 would be the first verse of your Bible because it's the earliest history. But this is a, a statement about Jesus and he is, he is defined here as the Word. That means revealed God. Okay, read it with me. In the beginning, the Word already existed. That means before time, before creation. So in other words, the person we know, as, of, know of as Jesus already existed before creation. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. I remember in Greek, when we were studying this, professor taught us that the word with there means face to face. So in other words, it wasn't like the person we know of as God, the Father was up here and Jesus was down here. The word was face to face with God. But in case we have any questions, look at the next line. And the word was 
God. Wow. Wrap your mind around that. I mean, let's read. And Because what does God do that no one else can do? He creates. So look at this. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. When you peer down into that manger, you're looking at a baby with a resume, and on his resume is he created everything that was created, and there wasn't anything created that he didn't touch. The word gave life to everyone who was created, and this life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And I peer over that manger, and I say, look, who's here? Who's who? God. That's who. Jesus was not a human who became God. He was God who became human. He was not a human that somehow elevated himself to come to the place where he was anointed with deity. He was deity who shed that. Philippians 2, chapter chapter 2 tells us about that. He humbled himself and came into our world. Look, who's? But now I want to focus on the third word for a moment. Look who's here. Remember we say that expression because The person in the place is a surprise. We don't expect to see the person in the place. Well, what's the here? The here's in a little tiny sleepy town called Bethlehem, a nowhere place. And he's not even in the house. He's in the barn or the stable. And on top of that, they lay him in a manger and they wrap him up in the cloth that the poorest of people would have. Look who's here, here, God in a barn? God, I mean, it's not like a king or like a, a sports hero or a movie star. I mean, it's God in a barn. God, a baby? See, that's the thing that just amazes me when I look at this because the thing about it is if you want to know the story of Christmas and why we have a party, it is because God came into our broken, hurting, cruel, unfair, unjust, racist, mean, helpless world. God joined the human race. God joined the human struggle. One of the silliest things I ever hear is that all belief systems are alike. Hardly. Find another one like that. Where God joins the human race. For the first time, God knew what it was like to stand in line. For the first time, God knew what it was like to cry. God knew what it was like to feel stress. I'm cautious with this one because I'm going by what I seem to see in Scripture, but it seems like he even knew what it was like to feel depression. For the first time, God knew what it was like to be fatigued, to get hungry, to feel pain. For the first time, God knew what it was like to have friends die and relatives die. For the first time, God knew what it was like to have people lie to him, to his face. The first time God knew what it was like to be used, to be blamed for things that were not his fault. And yes, especially relevant to some of you who are going to get together with family, Jesus in the person 
God in the person of Jesus knew what it was like to have family members think he was crazy. Yes, the Bible tells us. There was a point where his family got so worried they were trying to pull him away from his ministry because they thought he was crazy. For the first time, God knew what it was like to be put on trial. God knew what it was like to be accused of a crime he didn't commit. For the first time, God knew what it was like to have people spit in his face. And ultimately, for the first time, God would know what it was like to be nailed to a tree that he made. And in the person of Jesus, who was both human and God for the first time, he knew what it was like to die. You see what I mean? Look who's here. Look who's here. Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 9, there's a scripture that tells us about why he humbled himself. The Bible says what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus, here's the big line, tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children, that's us, into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. Look who's here. I close today with the personal part of this message. By process of elimination, you know the word I'm going to talk about now is look. See, that's just it. You have to decide. Forgive me for breaking a sentence, but what makes Jesus different from the religions of the world? The religions say jump through these hoops and you'll be accepted. Jesus is all about a relationship. And a relationship is personal. And your parents can't decide for you. And you can't hold people accountable to make the decision for you. It's personal. One by one we make this decision to look personally at Jesus. When you look at a story of God joining the human race and suffering and dying for us, there is a fundamental question. The whole narrative begs the question, what's wrong with us? See, here's the thing. If there's nothing wrong with us and we're very fine, we're cool, there's no reason for God to do that. So clearly, Jesus came into our world to do something for us, but the fundamental question is, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with all of us so much that we would need him to come into the world. Well, the Bible tells us many times. But I, I think the healthiest verse for us to look at today is Jeremiah 17.9. The Hebrew prophet Jeremiah laid it, laid it down for us pretty closely. He said, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. And who can understand it? There are four things I want you to see in that text that tell us what's wrong with us. First of all, the human condition. What's wrong with us? Well, look at this. We're sick. We're sick. But the second thing is, where is the location of that illness? You say, well, Mark, yeah, I've got the flu. I'm sick. No, no, that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse isn't talking about your body necessarily. The Bible says the heart. Now, in the Hebrew way of thinking in those days, the heart was the seat of everything that we were internally. So the best word we can come up today to make an equivalent is the mind, our thinking. So now we know what our problem is, we're sick, and we know the location of that sickness, it's our, it's our mind. Well, I think 
<laughs> I think we know that. Hey, I deal with an emotional disorder. I, I know my mind doesn't work well sometimes. You know, when I, when I begin to share what I dealt with, it was amazing how many of you begin to pour out your stories to me and say, Mark, we deal with the same thing. The more I talk to people, you know what I've discovered? I think we all struggle, don't we? I think we all struggle with something. But when the Bible talks about sickness, it's not so much talking about anxiety disorders and, and depression and, and, and bipolar disorder. All those, although I think those things are definitely part of our struggle as, as humans who live in a fallen, broken world. But I think the ultimate problem with our minds is that we're bent toward doing the wrong thing. I know I am. I met with a friend of mine who's one of the greatest Christian leaders in America who made some very wrong choices. And I'm struggling with that because he won't be able to continue his ministry. I know him to be an extraordinary guy who's done something really wrong. You know why? Because all of us have minds. You know, we, we, we always pretend like, oh, that's a horrible person. Hey, you know what? You want everything you and I have done to be up on a screen for everybody to see? No. The problem that we have is we're sick and our minds are bent the wrong direction. Okay, number one, we know our problem is we're sick and the location is the mind. How, and how sick are we? Number three, we're desperately sick. There's a difference between being sick and being desperately sick, right? Because when you're desperately sick, you don't know what to do and you don't know that there's any cure. And that's our issue. But then here's, here's the exacerbating factor. The fourth thing is that this mind that is sick and desperately sick is deceitful. So even when we think we're making progress, we don't know that we are. And we have some things to help us with that in our earthly travel. Medicine, psychology, psychiatry, religion. All these things, when they're true, they're good, they're helpful. But at the end of the day... It's going to be a losing proposition. Ultimately, the mind is not going to be completely healthy. So we needed something. It's interesting. I, I just gave you Jeremiah 17, 9. Five verses later, actually four verses later, the Bible says this, and I find this so amazing. Right after that verse, the Bible says, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. That's why you should look. You understand that Jesus came into our world because religion could not fix what was broken. Medicine, as much respect as I have for it, and appreciation. And we have so many doctors and medical professionals in our church, but I believe all of you would sing together as a chorus to say, as much as you love medicine and what it can do, you could say, at the end of the day, it can't fix what's broken. I so have respect for psychology and psychiatry. They've benefited me, but at the end of the day, they can't fix what's broken. We needed a savior. We needed a healer. And so God joined the human race and ran the table for us and then took that perfect life and died on a Roman cross so that by faith you and I could reach out and we would have a savior and we would have a healer and he would come into our lives and help us throughout our earthly journey and when we get to the end of that earthly journey we will walk into the presence of God completely healed. Completely healed. Look who's here. In the book of Matthew the Bible just says he took our sicknesses. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. <laughs> Mary Xmas. 
I think he deserves a party. <laughs> you guys know I've been here a long time. It's my, my 33rd year here at New Spring. And history sometimes is fun for me to go over. My wife and I love a show on HGTV, and I really love this one. The show's called Fixer Upper. And uh, we love Chip and Joanna Gaines. I don't know if you know this or not, but Joanna was a little girl in our church. And uh, they, when she was little, uh, they were here at our church. And her dad is one of my best friends. And uh, his name is Gerard, although when he moved to Texas years ago, Texans had a hard time with Gerard, so he just finally decided to give up and say, call me Jerry. So we all call him Jerry these days. It's kind of fun for me watching Fixer Upper because I see Joanna as a grown-up. I keep seeing her as a little girl. I think if I'd known she was going to grow up to be Joanna Gaines, I'd have probably been nicer to her when I was <laughs> a pastor. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I was probably in my, I was in my early 30s. I was up preaching about this one day, and just, just with full of energy, I, I just said, I don't know why people say Xmas. I said, if you want to leave something out, leave the mess out and just leave Christ in. And I said, Merry Christ X. Well, the next day, and I should have told you, Jerry on the Firestone on Harry, which is close to our location, I was driving up Harry, and I came to the Firestone sign, and they're out there on the sign. <laughs> For all Wichita to read was, Mary Christ X. <laughs> now, Jerry is the manager of all the Magnolia properties. I'd say he did okay, wouldn't you? There's something about lifting Jesus up. <laughs> I got a text from him yesterday morning. It just said, Merry Christ X. <laughs> yeah. When you invite Jesus into your life, everything changes. I want to ask you a question. This is personal. I want to ask you if you've looked. Not do you know about Jesus, not do you know his name. Have you personally begun a relationship with him? Because it'll change everything. A few weeks ago, we had a service for a new springer, dear friend. Mark got cancer a year ago this last fall, and it was a tough kind of cancer. And he fought a courageous fight. But he passed away several weeks back. <clears throat> and, and Mark had left letters for family, and he left a letter for me to be opened after he died. And so after he died, well, I got my letter. He said, Dear Pastor Mark, well, as they say, I've gone to a better place. And it's true. I'm with our Lord Jesus and with a new body instead of the cancer-ridden one I had. I'm writing to ask you to do my funeral service. Honestly, I'd prefer to be remembered for my sense of humor more than anything else. I told the funeral director that if I had my way, I would be made up with a goofy expression so people wouldn't be able to keep a straight face when they walked past the casket. <laughs> I know it won't happen, but it gives me a smile just thinking about it. I want you to preach a salvation message and to give an invitation. I only have one song request, and it's a Hillsong United song called Soon. We used to sing it at New Spring, and I've thought about it a lot the last year. Anything else Sherry can pick out will be fine. Well, to end on a high note, I'll leave you with my list of the best things of dying with cancer. Number 10, losing weight is not a problem. <laughs> Number nine, anything I buy lasts a lifetime. 
Number eight, you appreciate any day that doesn't involve pain or nausea. Number seven, haven't found any biblical coverage for this, but I'm hoping to be reunited with my dog. (laughs) Number six, you always say, I hope that God has this on tape. Here's my chance to find out what would Jesus watch, VHS or beta. You got to be a little older to know what that means. (laughs) Number five, seeing how the real heaven compares with Judgment House. (laughs) Number four, being reunited with my departed relatives. Number three, getting my new body, number two, waiting for Sherry, and number one, being with Jesus. Hey, guys, don't tell me how much you can binge. Can you do that? Don't tell me how much money you make. Can you face death with that kind of confidence? Only if you know the one who came from heaven to our broken earth, who died for us and rose again to prove to us that those who believe in Jesus Christ will never die. Only then can you have that kind of confidence. (laughs) Well, I think he deserves a party. And I celebrate with everything I have. And if you know him, you can do that too. I don't think I can finish this sermon without giving you an opportunity to know him. I'm I'm not giving you the opportunity. He's giving you the opportunity. I'm just speaking for him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever. Say, well, Mark, I'm an an atheist. That's okay. You're whoever. I mean, there's only one door, and we all got to go through it. You say, well, Mark, I'm I'm a Baptist. Well, you probably especially need to listen to me. (laughs) I can say that. That's how I grew up. So I'm Catholic or I'm Hindu. I want you to hear the word. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, not Mark, God. Look who's here. He came for you. Look into his face by faith. See him born. See him live the perfect life you can't live. See him hanging on a cross. See him rising out of the grave. Look into his face and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, my healer, and my Lord. And God says, he'll do it. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. If you want to, you can join me in this prayer. I'll say it slowly so you can decide if you want to own the words. It's not the words that matters, what you feel in your heart. But let, let me give you some words that will help. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, I am sick. I am broken. And it's desperate. I can't heal myself. I believe you sent Jesus into our broken world. I believe he did what I can't do. He lived a perfect life. And then he died as though he had all the guilt of the world. I believe he paid for my sin. I ask you to save me. Heal me. Make me your child. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hey, I know we're crowded today in both, both, both auditoriums. But wherever you are, if you will just go, if you just prayed that prayer with me, if you will go to any info center, take your talk to this card, and all you got to do is say, I pray with Mark. They won't hassle you. I have a gift bag for you. Please stop and get it. It's got a Bible just like I preach from. It's your gift. It's got a, a book I wrote that will answer some questions and a DVD and some other cool stuff. All you got to do is go to any, any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and they will give it to you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you this Christmas Eve.